Over to God. How many of you believe you have eyes to see? Ears to hear. Eyes to see and ears to hear. That's what God has given us. We're eventually going to be over in the book of 1 Kings. It's going to be a little while before we get there. We've got some other scriptures to read over first. Dipping back into some history, there was a letter that George Washington had written to his wife, Martha. It said, My dearest, I am now set down to write to you on a subject which fills me with inexpressible concern. And this concern is greatly aggravated and increased when I reflect upon the uneasiness I know it will give you. It has been determined in Congress that the whole army raised for the defense of the American cause shall be put under my care. And that it is necessary for me to proceed immediately to Boston to take up, take upon me the command of it. You may believe me, my dear Patsy, when I assure you in the most solemn manner that so far from seeking this appointment, I have used every endeavor in my power to avoid it. Not only from my willingness to part with you and the family, but from a consciousness of its being a trust too great for my capacity. But it has been a kind of destiny that has thrown me upon this service. I shall hope that my undertaking is designed to answer for some good purpose. What a letter. It's a letter that shows a person who saw themselves for who they were, their weaknesses, their strengths, who saw a task that was before them as being great and not that they were deserving of it, but they considered considered it an honor to serve their country in such a way. We certainly want to learn ourselves how to walk in our life in such a humble way that we understand what God has gifted us with. We understand what is outside of that gifting. We understand what it is that he's called us to do. And what he has called others to do. We are not threatened by the role of others. We are challenged by the role he gives us. Oh, to live a life humbly before him. So we've been looking at this series on the heart condition. Looking at pride and its effects. We saw that pride, it hardens our heart. It causes us to be be hard in our heart, it makes us resistant to correction. We become unteachable, unthankful, and unaccountable. The path to pride, first off, it starts off with a thought. That thought, we begin to ponder it. It begins to set inside of our heart. Once it is set inside of our heart, it begins to have an effect upon our actions and influences our talk. And pride has set in. We know that God resists the proud. We don't want to be resisted by God. And the word that we are learning should have an effect upon our words, our actions, our responses, and our thoughts. Remember what we said, if we don't let the word of God become or have an effect upon our words, our actions, our responses, and our thoughts, we become a what in the body of Christ? We can become a wart in the body of Christ, completely useless, but still attached. We want to make sure that we have a good use. We were looking at the, uh, the actions of pride. We gave the example of a dead fish. You can have a container that has a dead fish in it. Maybe that fish had been in there for a couple of days. And you can tell that there's a dead fish in there simply by the 
the smell. The smell will tell you there's a dead fish inside there. This is not good. This is not something that we want to be part of. Well, how can you distinguish between clean clothes and dirty clothes? The smell. How do you discern a dirty diaper from a clean diaper? The smell. Our actions have an odor to them. Just as our prayers are like a sweet incense unto the God, our actions have an odor to them. God can smell faith. God can smell fear. God can smell when we are doing what we're supposed to be doing. And we need to be, be in there. Some of the actions of pride that you can see, some of the things that leave that lingering smell, is the first off people that are in pride, they blame others, not themselves. They blame others, not themselves. Repentance, the goal of repentance is to cause or to bring about a change. To repent for what you did not do is useless. You can't enact any change. We use the example of your car. If a mechanic wants to fix something in your car, it's going to cost $300 and you have it fixed, but the symptom still stays behind, you aren't happy, are you? What we want to do is we want to have the mechanic find out what is wrong with the car and we want that fixed, whether it costs $50, $200, $400, whatever it is, we want the problem fixed and not anything else. We just want to take care of that particular one. Repentance is for the purpose of change. We looked at, at judging. One of the other actions of people in pride is they judge others, not themselves. The Word of God tells us to judge ourselves, lest you be judged. We need to go out there and to, to judge ourselves. I can judge actions, words, and things that are revealed. Well, what's on the inside of me? I know, right? You don't need anybody to reveal what's on the inside of you. You know what it is. Other people may disclose what they're doing with their actions, their words, and, and you can judge what they do, but their heart, unless they reveal it to you, you can't know. But God knows the heart, and He's the judge of it. We told you before, I cannot judge what is hidden. Such will be revealed and judged. If it's hidden, it's not for you to judge. Let God judge it. Prideful people, though, will speak to what is hidden as if it is revealed. Have you ever found people... And they are judging someone. Well, I know why they did it. Why? Did you ask them? No, I don't have to ask them. I can tell. That's a prideful person. That's the lingering smell of pride. Don't, don't let that come out of your mouth and understand it when it comes out of others. Well, last week we looked at anger. We understand from the Word of God it is not wrong to get angry. It is not a sin to get angry. If it is a sin to get angry, God has sinned. Right? And God has not sinned. Doesn't the Word of God tell us, tell us that God has gotten angry? When people rose up against Moses, what did God say? Oh, that's okay. When they rose up in rebellion against him, what did God say? Oh, that's okay. No, he got mad, didn't he? What's the Word of God tell us in the book of Revelation? How he's dealing with the people in the, in the earth. His wrath is being poured out. He's angry. It's okay to get angry. But the Word of God says, be angry and do not... Sin. So there's an anger that is sinful and there's an anger that is not. Make sure you stay on the right side. We spent some time looking over that. Principle we gave you was don't get angry and respond to what you cannot change or are not to judge. There are some things you're just not to judge. Someone else in the body of Christ might be able to judge it, but you're not to judge it. You're not in a position to judge it. You're not in a place to judge it. Don't get angry and, res and respond. You might get angry at some things you see in the body of Christ, but you, your response, don't respond to what you cannot change or you cannot judge. 
So many other things we gave for the actions of pride were edify themselves, not others. They amplify themselves, not others. And they will gossip about others, but won't gently correct. Eventually, they love themselves and not others. We're going to take a look at this part here of the edifying themselves and not others. In 2 Timothy, the third chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. A lot of symptoms of pride here, right? Unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, having learned, have always learning, and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janes and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapprove concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs. Theirs also was. So we see that God resists the proud. But you see from this that proud people actually resist the truth of God. Proud people will actually become resistant to the truth of God. We want to make sure we stay out of this area of pride. Well, they have a hard heart. They're resistant to correction. So they're going to be resistant to a lot of these things. In Romans chapter 14, we are told to pursue edification. How many, are, how many like to be edified? We all like to be edified, right? We like to be built up. We like to be encouraged. Yeah, we like to be edified. That's why we don't like the gym. Right? The gym doesn't edify you. you go in the gym, it tears you down. It breaks down your muscles. It tears you down. You come out of there, you don't feel edified. You feel wore out. That's why we don't like the gym. But if you don't go to the gym, your body doesn't build itself back up again. You don't get stronger. But... That's kind of tough to keep in mind when you're at the gym, right? Mm-hmm. Romans 14, verse 19. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. What kind of things are we just supposed to pursue? The things that make for peace and the things that edify one another. In other words, do the, say things that build other people up. Have you ever? Now, I'm sure no one here has ever done this. But you may know some people who have done this. Have you ever had people come and tell you a story about another person for no other good than to get you to think ill of them? Why do that? That's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God says, pursue what? The things which make for peace. Don't be a pursuer of turmoil. Don't be a pursuer of things. There are people in our world... It seems their sole purpose is to drive wedges between others. Why do they do that? What fun could they possibly get at? I don't know. I don't know. They learn something that they maybe shouldn't have learned. They twist it or they say it to the wrong people. Do you know what so-and-so thinks of your cooking? I heard her say the other day, she thinks your cooking stinks. What's the purpose of saying that? Is there, is there a pursuit of peace there? No. That's a form of pride that's pulling people into pride. Stay out of it. Pursue the things that make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. If you are going to pursue it, 
It means you actively do things to engage it. You don't just sit there and let it happen. You actively go after it. If you were in your dating years and you pursued a young woman, a young man, did you just wait for them to call? No, you did things. You, uh, you dropped hints. You, know, you, you pursued. You asked questions. You put yourself in their presence. You did things. You pursued things. That's what we, we need to go. You watch some of those movies. And you know, just about every movie out there, some, some gal takes a fancy to some guy. Some guy takes a fancy to some gal. And what do they do? They pursue them. And you get to see all the behind-the-scenes things going on to pursue. To pursue. One of the movies that we enjoyed uh, a good bit, uh, Will Smith was in it. I think just about any movie Will Smith is in, he makes better. He's just one of those actors. I just enjoy watching him. But I, I don't remember the, the name of it now. Um, but Hitch, that's it. You're there, there, no one going. <laughs> oh, that's such a fun movie. And you get to see the whole process of, of pursuing the other person. And it was just a fun movie to, to watch. And it was, uh, he actually would train guys up on how they could pursue and, and what they could do and, and what to set themselves apart from other things. It was kind of fun seeing it from that standpoint. But there's a pursuit. You've got to pursue edification. A lot of times we just do whatever comes into our head. That's not pursuit. Pursue it. Go after it. Romans 15 verse 1. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Most people are out to please themselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good. Now, who's your neighbor? <laughs> you remember with Jesus. Jesus was asked that question, right? He answered it pretty good, didn't he? We'll go with that answer. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Well, Christ didn't live this life in a way to please himself. He lived his life to please the Father. The Father says edification is the way to go. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the, well, the other's well-being. That's edification. When you purposely look to find, what can I do to help other people? What can I do to make other people feel better? What can I do for that? And we pursue it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we, have, that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. It's another way of talking about pride. Doesn't pride puff up? Because they are filled with the knowledge of themselves. But when you get filled with the knowledge of God, you get filled with love. That's what you want to pursue. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing. <laughs> I hear that and I think of uh, Sergeant Soltz. How many remember Sergeant Soltz? Oh, yeah. I know nothing. I see nothing. I hear nothing. <laughs> He knew he knew nothing. But if anyone thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. Prideful people think they know it all. God says, if you really knew, you would know that you don't know it yet. But if anyone loves, loves God, this one is known by him. That's the one you want to be known by. Be known by God. Ephesians chapter 4 says, talks about always edifying others. 
Verse 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart what? Grace to the hearers. Are the words that we speak out of our mouth, do they impart grace? 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11, therefore comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. So you're already doing it, keep it up. Keep it going. In Luke chapter 14, verse 8, when you're invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited. And he who invited you and him who come, to, come and say to you, give place to this man and then begin with shame to take the lowest place. He says, don't come in now. Now, we don't have quite as the same thing, but they would have seats and some were more honorable seats than other seats and, and you'd come on in and they all knew where the honorable seats were and he says, don't just come in and take the honorable seats. Sit someplace lower. Let them move you up. What he's saying is don't edify yourself by taking the higher place. Let other people find you where you don't belong and edify you. And that's the process that we, we need to take hold of. People in pride are always going around edifying themselves, talking about themselves, building themselves up. Humble people work to edify the people around them. And that's what we want to do. Just review over in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave, him, gave some, and he himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for a purpose, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's the purpose. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So here's the pattern. The fivefold ministry is put in for the purpose of edifying, of building up you for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So you become equipped. You, you glean from the ministry gifts God has put into the body. You become equipped. Once you are equipped, it is the body that does the work of the ministry, not the fivefold ministry. The work of the ministry is done by the body. The body is equipped by the fivefold ministry, which is operating under the anointing, the unction of God. That's what the, that's the goal is. They're supposed to seek after God, get the word of God, put it into the people. The people take that word, put it to work. And then by this, the body of Christ is edified. It is built up. If we don't do it the way that God says, the body of Christ will not be built up and it won't be edified. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the statue, Stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things unto him who is the head of Christ, or the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. You have a supply. Warts don't. But you're not called to be a ward, are you? You are a joint. Every joint has a supply. Every part of the body supplies something. Don't buy into the devil's lies, to the Satan's lies, to the lies that would come to you from other people even, that says you don't have anything to offer. You do. You need to offer what it is that you have by what every joint supplies. Every joint is supplying something. According to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. If you have a part of your body that's not working, it's not doing its share, what happens to the rest of the body? 
doesn't function quite as well. Right? If you got one leg out, if you got one arm out, if you got a back out, it's not working the way that it should, does it affect the whole body? Sure does. Everything else has to pitch in and do things. You got the right foot doing what the left foot should be doing. You got the right hand doing what the left hand should be doing. You got the right arm trying to do by itself what the right and left arm ought to be doing. Having uh, this I say, therefore, and testify the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. God has put gifts in the body. We are to be enlightened. We are to walk in a place not in darkness, but in light. Thereby, we operate in our function better and the body of Christ becomes better yet. Over in 1 Kings chapter 19, it's a familiar story to you. We're going to go over it again, just looking at it from this standpoint. In verse 1, And Ahab told Jezebel all, the thi- all that Elijah had done and how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. He came and reported, if you want to go back, you can read up chapter 18 and see what had happened. But this, uh, this is the basis of the story. Elijah said, you know, why, why continue to falter between two opinions? If God is God, let's worship God. If Baal is God, let's worship Baal. Why in the world we go between this? So let's set up a couple of altars. I got one altar over here, one altar over here. With a God who answers by fire, he is God. And so they said, yeah, that's a good idea. We'll do that. And so they, they built two altars. Elijah had the altar that was there. He restored the one that, was, that had been there. And they had built this other one. And they, they came on there and they were all day long calling out to Baal, calling out to their God, trying to get him to answer by fire. They had to sacrifice everything already and no fire. And so uh, they start cutting themselves and still nothing. So Elijah starts teasing them. He starts messing with them. Well, you know, maybe he's in the bathroom right now. Maybe you just need to, you know, maybe he's asleep. Maybe you need to shout a little louder. Yeah, he's just messing with them. So they cried out all the louder and they tried to get their God to wake up and he's not waking up. And so Elijah finally says, that's enough of that. You guys have had plenty of time. And he douses the altar of the Lord with water. They had all this water. They took sea water. They just poured it all over it. And uh, he just prayed and said, Father God, show them your God. And fire came down from heaven and not only burned up the sacrifice, it burned up the rocks, it burned up the water, it burned up everything. It was all gone. And so they saw that and they said, oh, wow, this is God. And so they rose up, the people did, and they slaughtered all the prophets of Baal, all the prophets of Ashtar. And uh, they said, God, he is God. And a great revival was started. And they said, all right, the, uh, the drought is going to end. And he, Elijah went up and he prayed. A number of times he sent the servant out, go out and take a look. Nothing, 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 nothing. After a number of times, the servant came back. There's a small cloud the size of a man's fist. And he said, all right, that's it. It's coming. He said, you better get ready. So he told us, tells Elijah, you better get ready. You better get back because rain is coming and it's going to be heavy. And so he gets on back and a spirit of God came upon Elijah and he outran the chariot. Outran the chariot. Beat it. That's some running. The anointing came on him. So you got Elijah who uh, the anointing of God gave him this call, this this thing to do and the anointing of God was on him he called down fire from heaven and it burned up the sacrifice the people revival had started and the anointing of God came on him and he outran horses horses run fast they run faster than people they outrun outran the horses 
so Ahab comes back and he tells Jezebel all these things because now all her prophets are dead. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. I always wondered about that. I mean, if that's really her, her intention, why does she send a messenger? Why not send an executioner? <laughs> right? I mean, why waste time? If you want them dead, send an executioner. Don't send a messenger. Send a warrior. Send one of the people from the army with a sword. Take his head off. Well, she couldn't do it. But she put the threat out there. And for some reason, he became afraid. And when he saw that he rose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die. Now, you've heard this said before, but if he wanted to die, he could have just stayed there. He would have died sure enough, right? And said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. It is enough. Have you ever been this way? Ever gotten to yourself to be down and depressed? It's enough. I've gone through enough in life. I've done enough in life. I've had it. I don't want any more. Just take me. I don't want to kill myself, but you know, God, I'd rather you do it for me. It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he took, uh, and then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals in a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he rose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights as far as Horeb. That is some kind of food. Can you imagine having food? That after two helpings, you can go 40 days and 40 nights. So you went 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, my answer would have been, you told me to come here. That would have been my answer. That's not Elijah's answer. Elijah has this one. And we've talked about this before. So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Now, you will notice as he goes through this, he will say this a few times. And he says it the same way each time. Which means, it's rehearsed. It's rehearsed. He's been going over. He's been saying this over and over. Have you ever had something that you keep saying over and over to yourself? It should be good things that we do. Some of you folks are posting those uh, cards that you got from uh, Brother Joe. And those are good. Those are good things to say. Verses of Scripture. These are good things to say. This is not. This is the thing we're contemplating in our own heart. Oh, woe is me. Woe is me. Oh, things are bad. Oh, things are lousy. Oh, I should just die. And these are the kind of things that, that we're saying. For those of you who remember back in Hee Haw days, how many, how many remember the show Hee Haw? You know, they put it on the TV every once in a while. If you never saw it, you'd never turn it on. And we have turned it on a few times and amazed that we actually sat and watched the thing. Because it's really not good TV. <laughs> it was really kind of bad. But, you know, they had that, that song they would sing. 
gloom, despair, and agony on me. And they would all just keep writing new verses. And they would talk about all the bad things that would happen to them and, and such. You know, if it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. And they just keep singing this thing and bad thing after bad thing after bad thing. You know, back then we thought it was funny. Now we got the word of God on this and found out, oh, man, this is not good. We should not be going along with stuff like this. So, you know, we put that stuff out. But, um, yeah, we, you remember some of those things. Sometimes we thought that was uh, that was humorous. But here's what he's saying. I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, in case you haven't been noticing, God. Well, how did fire come down from heaven? Didn't God send it? So God had to be watching. Who did he pray to? God. God sent fire down. God did. Don't you think God's looking? But you see, sometimes we can get the idea... Because our situation has gotten so bad, life has gotten so hard, we've gotten so depressed, that God doesn't see us. God doesn't care. It happened to Elijah. How many of you know if it happened to Elijah, it can happen to you? It can happen to me. I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. See, pride is always very conscious of what I do. Pride is very conscious of what I do. Not very conscious about what others, except for that... We've become very conscious about what they don't do or what they did against us. I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I've been great. They've been lousy. Right? I've been doing good. They've been doing horrible. That's how it is, God. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. When we get depressed, when we get down about our life, it is really easy to think, I am the only one in my situation. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many, you, use your inside hand. How many of you would think, have been in a situation where you think, I am the only one. No one else is going through it. No one else's life is this hard. I am the only one. That's what he's, he's feeling right here. Same kind of pattern. Then he said... God said, then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? God's hard of hearing. Right? He's asking him to repeat himself. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, I alone and left, and they seek to take my life. He's got this down. He's been saying this over and 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 over. The whole way out there. He's saying to himself, I have been very zealous for the Lord. <laughs> he's been going over this over and over. He's had 40 days to travel. He had that time sitting underneath the broom tree. He had the time getting to the broom tree. He's been saying this. I have been very zealous for the Lord. Over and over. I have been very zealous for the Lord. I have been very, I have, I have been, I have been. Up till now, I mean, I've been on fire. I've been doing some great things. You see that revival happen back there? I have been zealous for the Lord. 
because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. They've risen up. They've killed a lot of prophets. I'm the only one who's left and they're looking to come after me. Now, this is an inspiration that comes to him. Where does Elijah get these thoughts from? He gets the thought that he's zealous for the Lord because he's looking at what he does. Where does he get the idea that he's the only one left? Well, I think the enemy will come along and sow that thought. Has the enemy ever come along and sowed the thought into your life? You're the only one. You're the only one left. You're the only true worshiper. You're the only true prayer. You're the only true intercessor. You're the only true whatever it might be. You're it. There's no one else. I am it. God is lucky to have me on his team. Man, God, if, if I had someone like me on my team, I'd treat them better. Right? I'd, I'd do more stuff for them. I'd watch out for them. I, I wouldn't let this kind of thing happen. I wouldn't let some people talk to them this way. I wouldn't let threats be made against them. I'd, uh, I'd try and take care of them. He's basically telling God, you're not doing a very good job. I've been doing good. I've been zealous for the Lord. Now, not so much on you. There's a lot of prophets been dying down here and I'm about to another, become another one of them. I mean, is this not a roundabout way of talk, telling God you are not doing good? Kind of slouching on the job here. Because when you get into a place of pride, is there anyone else doing as good of a job as you? When you get wrapped up in pride, folks, you are the best at what you do when everyone else is inferior. Be careful about that. If you ever talk about people who are in the line of work, to what you, whatever it is that you do, and they all stink. If every one of them stinks, you're probably in a place of pride. Because I guarantee you, you are not the only one. There's probably some other people who can do it just as good. And God will tell him this. He will get that out. But he's discouraged. We can relate to that, can't we? Haven't we been discouraged in our life at times? He is discouraged. He's got this cloud, dark cloud that has formed in his life. Discouragement sets in because something we didn't expect happens or something we did expect didn't happen. Isn't that about, right, about what it is? Something that should have happened didn't. Something that shouldn't have happened did. Think about it. When you got, when you got depressed about something, isn't it one of two things? Something that shouldn't have happened did. Something that you didn't think should have happened did. Or something that should have happened didn't. Well, I thought I would have been healed of that. Well, I thought God would have come down and done this. We think something should have happened, but it didn't. And it opens the door for depression to come in. Discouragement. Just because these things, just because something happens that you didn't think should have, doesn't mean you are going to be discouraged, doesn't mean you're going to be depressed, but it's a, it's a door opening for it. So we didn't expect, or something we didn't expect happens, something we did expect didn't happen. Basically, we get something we didn't like or feel we deserved. Basically, we get something we didn't like or feel we deserved. I, I deserve that. I should have had it. Should have had that promotion, should have had that raise, should have had that job, should have had that winning lottery ticket. I should have. I, sh I should have had that. It should have been mine. And we didn't get it. 
Or something we did get, I don't like this. I didn't ask for this. I don't want this. I don't deserve this. <laughs> Discouraging is not automatic under these conditions. It's just the sound of its knock. You ever have some people who come up to your door and they have a certain way of knocking? And you can tell, oh, I know who that is. I can tell by their knock. You can tell this is discouragement knocking on the door. Saying, can I come in? Can I come in? You got something that you didn't want. You didn't get something that you did want. Can I come in? And you say, and we should say no, but how many times have we said yes? And we invite discouragement in. And discouragement comes in and it says, oh, you have got it so hard. You certainly deserve much better than this. I can't believe that God is not working better on your behalf. Look at how hard you have worked for God. I have worked hard for God. I've been doing many things for God. Look at these things that I've been doing. I see those. I don't know why God hasn't seen them. And discouragement begins to make itself at home. And you begin to welcome discouragement to be at home because discouragement is saying things that are making you feel good. Well, at least you think they're making you feel good. They're actually just discouraging you more. We need to get that thing out of our head. Get it out of our life. When we become discouraged, we look to get out, right? When we are discouraged, we look to get out of it. We don't like to be discouraged. We don't like to be depressed. We want to get out. For some people, the way out is just what Elijah says. Take my life. I'm done. When we become discouraged, we look to get out. We hope for help from others. Don't we? Don't we wish other people would come along and just help us and just pull us out of this discouragement? That they would just say the right things. They would just do the right things and instantly we would be feeling better. We hope to get help from others. If none is to be had, we help ourselves. If you have a person who is drowning, they're out there in the deep and they are drowning. Uh, they try and help themselves, but they're just thrashing about and you won't stay on top of the water for very long that way, will you? And you panic and you try and move and move more and you just end up going down, coming up for a little bit, going down. If someone comes out to help you, what does a drowning person who is in that state of panic generally do? They usually latch hold of the person who's trying to help them so that that person can't swim either. And many, very often the person who went out to help and the person who were drowning end up both drowning. Unless you get somebody who is skilled at the, the thing. And a person who is skilled at helping people that are drowning is not nice to them when they come out to help them, are they? They treat them very harshly. Though if you do it right, you turn them around so that they are facing away from you. You do it strongly because if you don't, if you give them any time, they will latch hold of you. If they can latch hold of you, they can take you down. So you turn them around and you grab them in such a way that they cannot grab you. And then you swim for sure. You don't speak nice things. Don't, oh, it's okay. It's okay. You say, stop. You have to speak harshly to them because you've got to get them out of this state of panic. Otherwise, they will drown and you could drown. And you're trying to help both people out. See, sometimes we want God to come along and just Oh, it's okay. You've been working really hard. Let's just give you a little break here for a little while. But God doesn't do that. Look what he does with Elijah. He speaks very, very sternly to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? It's an example of a drowning person. The goal is to get them to not be drowning. The goal is to get them on the dry land. 
Get them there any way you can. After you get them on the dry land and they're no longer drowning, then you can speak nice to them. But not until then. Get, it, get them fixed up. Get them, get them put into a, a better place. Elijah is thinking things like this. These things should not happen. Have you ever thought that about your life? These things should not be happening to me. And then we begin to rattle off all the things we do. I serve God doing this. I have done this for the kingdom of God. I tithe. I don't do bad things. I haven't killed anybody. I don't rob banks. I work to, to do what the Bible tells me to do. I read the Bible. I study the Bible. I go to church. I listen to stuff during the week. I worship God during the week. We go over all the things that we do. And we're saying, look at what I've done. These things shouldn't happen to me. I should not be going through this. Right? We've said that. We said that. When we are entertaining that thought, how does pride get in? It starts as a thought. You meditate on it. It gets into your heart. It affects your actions and influences your talk. It's exactly what's happened to Elijah. A thought has come in. You don't deserve this. This should not be happening to you. You have been zealous for the Lord. Everyone else has been killed. You are the only prophet of God left. And he has been thinking on this and thinking on this and it has got down into his heart. It has infected his actions because he has fled from the queen. It is affecting his talk. It's influencing his talk because look at how he's talking to God. He's basically, folks, rebuking God. You ought to be doing a better job. I'm doing a great job as one of your prophets. You are not doing such a great job as God. If I were in your position, I would take care of someone like me. You're not doing... He's, he's basically getting on God's case. Because he has gotten into pride. If Elijah has gotten into pride, how many of y'all know we can? We can get into pride. Now, God just moved through him, didn't he? Moved through him with fire coming down. Moved through him with the Spirit of God coming on him, outrunning horses. And now we get the idea that God is resisting him. Don't you get that idea? What are you doing here, Elijah? He could say that to many of us. Because many of us have been in a place that we shouldn't be. And God simply would say, if we would listen to him, What are you doing here, Steve? Why are you here? You could say, well, you, you told me to come here. No, no, no. That's not what Why are you in this place in your life? Why are you here? Why is this going on? Well, I've been very zealous. No, no, no. Why are you here? He doesn't want to hear all that stuff that he's been meditating on that comes from pride, comes from the enemy. He doesn't want to hear that stuff. What's God want to do? God wants to get at the cause, pinpoint the cause, find out what is to blame, and fix it. He wants it fixed. He wants this taken care of. And as long as he's going over this, I've been very zealous for the Lord. We're not getting anywhere. We've got to get someplace. We've got we to make this thing happen. I put in your outline this. The way that most people think they will get out is put there. How many of y'all have, had, have been depressed, been discouraged? And a way comes up for you to get out of it. A way, you have an idea how to get out of it. You know who puts that idea there most of the time? 
Here it is. The way that most people think they will get out is put there by the one who wants them dead. Isn't that right? What do you think that the devil wants with Elijah? Does the devil want Elijah to continue? No, Elijah's been a problem for the devil. The best thing for the devil to do is to kill him. Have him die. He doesn't care how he dies. He doesn't care if he kills himself. He doesn't care if he goes away and starves himself to death. He doesn't care. He just wants him dead. He wants him out of the way. Well, a lot of times, folks, ideas come up on the inside of us to help us get out of depression, get us out of discouragement, to get, get us out of these things. It's not going to help. What we need is edification. And edification doesn't always mean nice words. God is edifying Elijah. He's speaking the truth and love, as one place uh, puts it. Let's go on. Verse uh, 15. Then the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. He's saying, Go away. We still haven't gotten the answer. Elijah is still mulling on these things. God, his purpose here is to get him out of being discouraged, to edify him, and to get him to a place where this isn't bothering him anymore. Isn't that God's purpose? Get him back in the operation again. So he says, first off, go return your way in the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Mahola, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I, will, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. He's saying this, you are not alone, Elijah. You have swallowed a lie. I didn't give that to you. Someone else gave it to you. There are 7,000 out there right now that I can get to step in your shoes. And you know what? I'm going to have you go out and anoint one of them. Elisha's his name. You go out there and anoint him. He's going to take your place. So here's what God tells him. He summed it up in these words. First off, get up. Because most times when we're depressed, we are not, that we're not out there doing anything. We're down. We're down for the count. He first off says, get up. Get up. This is what we need to do. You don't need somebody to pull you up. You need yourself to get up. You need to get up. Oh, I can't get up. Yes, you can. I can do all things through Christ except when I'm discouraged. I can do all things through Christ except when I'm depressed. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you're going to say, well, I can't get up right now, then first off, you've, you've swallowed a lie. You haven't swallowed the truth. You swallowed a lie. You've got to get rid of the lie. Get it, out of your, get it out of your thinking. First off, get up. Get up. This is what you need to do. When you are going to go out and you are going to edify people, the first thing you need to help them with is get up. That's the first thing you need to do. If you're going to edify someone, I'm not just talking about yourself, but other people, if you're going to help them out, the first thing you need to do is get up. We face this all the time when we were kids. We face it again as we're parents. It's school time. It's time to go to school to learn stuff. What do you have to do? Get up. up. What do the kids want to do? Stay down. Right? I mean, we face that all the time. Get up. 
And when they say, 10 more minutes, they want to stay down. And so you come in and say, get up. And if they don't get up, some people have taken all kinds of things to do. I mean, some people, that I've, I've heard them, they took the sheets right off the bed. Sometimes that doesn't affect them. Some people would bring in cold water and throw that on them. Then the bed's wet. And you don't want to lay in a bed, wet bed. And uh, it's, there's different met- methods. But the whole purpose is, if we're going to get this thing started, the first thing we've got to do is, we've got to get you up. You know how most Christians edify, think they edify people who are depressed? Oh, poor baby. Oh, we're helping them stay down. We're not getting them up. We're helping them stay down. We've got to get them up. That's the first thing you got to do. You've got to get them up. It's time to get up. Don't stay down. Get up. That's, that's what we've got to do. If you go to the doctor and you're feeling down, what does the doctor do? Go home, sleep it off, take some medication. You know, they want you to go down. What does God say? The lame man comes into to Jesus' meeting and he says, Get up! He says, Get up! The woman, Peter's mother-in-law, had a fever. And she gets healed. What happens? She got up! She got up! People in the Bible are getting up. We need to get up. Need to get up. I don't. I don't know if this happens. I'm sure this happens just about anything. But I, I know this in particular because I've been to a number of different doctors over the over the years. And whenever they find out that you are a runner, they're thinking. You, just, you can just tell their thinking has changed. And they always are, they always work on it this way. Uh, I had one guy. He was a podiatrist. So I was going there for some things in my feet, and. Um, and he was just hemming and hauling around this whole thing. He says, I really did some damage to the, this is back in college, really did some damage to the feet. And he was taking these pads and they were pasting them all over and taping them on. And, and you know, it was hard to walk and stuff like this. And he says, now look, he says, uh, if you can at least scale back the mileage in the week, if you can at least cut back on the, on the mileage. And, uh, you know, and I, I was figuring what he was trying to get around. I says, Doc, if you need me to not run, I can handle it. He looks at me and goes, don't run. Don't run. Because most of the time that you, you go to a doctor, if, you, if you're a runner, they know you won't stop. You will keep running. And they will. It, it's just, I don't know what it is. It's just, you know, it hurts. That's fine. Keep going. Keep going. You just keep thinking that. You don't have to, you have to get them to stop. We got to have more of that thinking. We got to get more of that thinking that says, get up. Get up. Stop being accepting of the fact that you're down. Stop being accepting of the fact that people around you are down. If you are going to edify them, you've got to get them up. If a person's not going into work anymore, getting them to feel good about their staying at home, it's not going to help out. What's he got to do? You need to get up. You need to go to work. You need to, you need to, you need to get out. Go. Be out of work. Get going. So the first thing that God says to him is, get up. Get up. Then he says this. Go back. He says, get up and go back. Because most people who are discouraged are leaving what is behind them. I'm leaving the job. I'm leaving my family. I'm leaving my friends. Because um, someone back there hurt them, right? And so what are we going to do? I'm going to leave them. I'm going to leave my family. I'm going to leave my job. Because all those people back there don't like me. I'm going to go find another job. We leave it. So first off, he says, get up. 
And then he says, go back. Don't leave something because you're discouraged. Leave something because God says, all right, now we're ready for you to go over to here. That's why we do it. Get up. Go back. Number three. Or actually, get up, get back. Number three. Get busy. Get busy. Discouraged people are doing nothing. Except sitting around thinking about how discouraged they are. Sitting around thinking about how hard they have it. Sitting around thinking about how everybody else has it better. Get up. Get back. And get busy. What is it that you stopped doing when you became discouraged? Do it again. Pick it up. I don't like, I don't like that. I don't want to do that. No? Pick it up again. Get busy. Get up. Get back. And get busy. Get busy. God does not say, well, I led you through discouragement to leave this and go on to this. To quit this job and go over here and take this job. And you wouldn't listen to me, so I'll let you get discouraged. So you, no, that's not God. How does God lead his people? He tells them. He tells them. Get up. Get back. And get busy. That's what we need to do. If I am discouraged, I need someone who's going to kick me in the pants. Tell me to get up. Get back. And get busy. And someone who has enough care... To watch and make sure that I do it. You want to edify people? Edifying is not always really nice words. Oh, you look so nice today. Oh, I like that color on you. That's not always edifying. Sometimes it's just flattery. Edification is for a purpose. Edification is to get you going. Get you moving in the things of God. God right here is speaking words of edification to his man, Elijah. And how many listen to him? They don't sound all that nice. But they worked. They got him back. They got busy again. He gave them three things to do. Elijah only does one of them. Elisha, whom he anointed to take his place, takes care of the other ones. But Elijah doesn't do it. Don't know why. We'll have to wait till we get to heaven to hear about that one. Verse 19. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the twelve. Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. The first thing he does is to get his replacement. Is, is he still discouraged? If the first thing you do of the three things that God says to do is to find your replacement. Because that's not really the first thing that God said to do. First thing God said to do is go over to anoint king of Syria. He didn't go that way. He first off went off and found Elisha. And, and uh, threw his mantle on him. The guy's still discouraged, but he's busy. You can still be discouraged and be up, back, and busy. And you know what will happen? You eventually won't be discouraged anymore. You'll overcome it. If you look at the rest of the life of Elijah, he does not exit real quick. He sticks around. He trains Elisha up. He gets Elisha ready. He's back in front of kings and queens, rebuking them, giving them the word of God, standing for the things of God. Get up, get back, and get busy. Don't focus on being heard, but in hearing. People that are in pride, especially when they are discouraged, always want to be heard. Because what they have to say is the most important. 
What you need to do is become humble and realize the most important thing is that I hear. People in pride don't want to do this. Humble people prefer to hear first. Stephen Covey, anybody remember him? Wrote that uh, really nice book, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. One of the habits in there is seek first to understand, then to be understood. It's a good habit. It basically comes from the Word of God. Listen first. Understand what God is saying to you. And then speak what you want to to God. But understand what He's saying first. Don't focus on being heard, but in hearing. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elijah turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled the flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. He knew exactly what was up. God had already called him. When Elijah came on by, he said, This is it. This is God calling. And he jumps right at it. Edification. People in pride don't edify others. They tear them down. People in pride want others to be lower than they don't mind that they have success, but they don't want them to have as much success as they have. But people who are in the body of Christ, who are humble, want to see other people soar to higher heights than they are. You want to find out how you're doing in the area of pride. Do you rejoice when other people are successful? Are you glad when they do well? Or are you only glad when you do well? That'll tell you a whole lot. Edify. It's one of the things we need to do. Because the actions of prideful people is they edify themselves, not others. God wants you to edify others, not yourself. Let other people exalt you. Let God exalt you. You work on exalting, edifying, building up other people. That's where we need to go. Put this in your outline. There is no excuse for not being where or doing what the Lord called and equipped you to do. There is no excuse for not being where and doing what the Lord called and equipped you to do. Now, look at this. Elijah is throwing the excuse out that I was up in the mountain. I was very zealous for the Lord. I was in the ministry. I was doing this work and they decided to try and kill me. They're after my life. And God says, I stood. I didn't tell you to quit. If that is not an excuse to quit, we don't have one. We have no excuse. There is no excuse for not being where and doing what the Lord called and equipped you to do. None. None that will hold any water with him. Not any treatment by people. Have you ever been mistreated by people and thought that gave you excuse to quit what you're doing for God? Opposition from the enemy. Has the opposition you've gotten from the enemy just discouraged you so much that you thought, well, this is good enough reason? Disappointment in life. Have you ever had a disappointing thing that happened in your life that caused you to think, I'm going to quit. I'm not going to do what God wants me to do in the ministry anymore. I'm not going to do what God wants me to do in the body of Christ anymore. There is no excuse for not being where and doing what the Lord called and equipped you to do. If we allow such thoughts, if we allow such into our thoughts and lives, we are allowing the seeds of pride in. Don't do it. Don't do it. Whatever God has called you to do, you do it because you serve God. We've said it often enough, but you serve God by how? Serving people. Serving people. 
You don't serve people for the benefit that it does for yourself. You serve God by serving people. Some people are going to abuse you. Some people are not going to like what you do. Some people are going to speak all manner of evil. They're in good company. Jesus healed people and they went out and they spoke evil about them. Jesus taught people the truth, gave them the light, and they went out and they spoke evil about them. People came up with lies about Stephen, came up with lies about Paul. They've been abused, but they kept on going. There's no excuse for it. Prideful people look to edify themselves, not others. People that are humble seek to edify the ones that are around because they realize the more I edify the people that are around me, the more the body of Christ succeeds and the more that I help the body of Christ to succeed, the more my Father rewards me. That's what it's about. Don't be caught up in pride. Look to edify. Seek to edify. As we looked at those first, couple of, first number of scriptures. Seek to edify. But then follow God's example in edification. Look at how God edified people. He got them to get up, get back, and get busy. Get busy. Do the work that God has called you to do. Discouragement will come. That's all right. It'll quit. It'll go on its way. Just stay busy. Do what God has said to do. And when you find other people, sow into them. Don't just give them flattering words. Sow into them. Give them the words that will help them to get up, get back, and get busy. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us. You know the situations that we're in. Some of us are discouraged. Some of us are a little down. Some of us are around people who are discouraged and down. And we're called into a place to help them. Father, I thank you for the help that we can be. That the Spirit of God is on the inside of us. We can speak those words that come up on the inside for the purpose of helping them to get up, to get back, and to get busy. We give you the praise and the glory for it. Father, you have called us to be workers in your kingdom and parts of your body. And we thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, we have some praise reports. If you didn't get a praise report in and you had one, you have some time, you can, you can read these over. Corey said, I was accidentally paid for an extra week of work. When I tried to correct the situation, they told me to keep the money. <laughs> well, it's good to go out there and correct the situation. It's even nicer that they, they uh, told us to, ke- to keep the money. And Tull said, uh, thanking God for opening a great door for my brother and giving him a job. To God be the glory. Amen. That's a good one. Daryl. God has made a way for us to uh, send Alicia to California to go camping with her uncle. I would like to see that. Is it camping in an actual tent with actual fishing and, and fireplaces? And This will be fun. Can we take videos? And send them back? That'd be, that'd be good. I'd, I'd like to see that one. Uh, Tony Morris put in a prayer report. She is glad to be a member of the, the church and a member of the body of Christ. Glory to God for that. It's always a good thing to... Keith Porter said the tree limb did not 
hit the house, I'm assuming that while you're gone, the tree limb fell? Oh, before you left. Oh, okay. Uh, A tree limb did not hit the house and the tree was uh, taken down without further incident. Safe travel to and from vacation. That's always good to have safe travel to and from vacation. Though uh, uh, Mr. Keith told me he did not even get into the water. You didn't get into the water either, though. Yeah, well, that's, that's normal, though. Oh, great. Thank you. That's normal. She doesn't like the water. Yeah, we're having a conversation next door. We're comparing my granddaughter and her instant love of the water. <laughs> Even though it was cold, she loved that water. So her and Grandpa have a, have a date <laughs> in deeper water. <laughs> oh, man, we'll have some fun. Jolly, uh, a, news, a news report last week, weekend, um, an employee with Department of Homeland Security shot himself. I would have been called up to respond, but it turned out to be another unit. So that was uh, because of you being the chaplain over there. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, well, we just pray that the person who did respond had as much wisdom to it as you would have, uh, you would have put in there. Good. Naz, I was... Oh, I was able. Okay. I was able to... I said, I have a hard time writing cursive. I don't, I don't read cursive too much. I, do, I, I print everything anymore. Uh, I was able to save... Well, you just tell me what it is. <laughs> okay. See. Wow. Oh, that's cool. That saved them money and made them money. Uh-huh. That's really good. Patience, listening to your spirit. That's all good good things to be doing. Uh, prayer today. Tony Morris is asking for prayer. Um, got some changes going on inside her. So uh, stand up and the, the ladies that are around her, just lay hands on her right now. Let's all stand up again if you would. Pray over Sister Tony. Father, we just thank you for the help that you give us. Whatever it is that goes on inside of our body, whether it be a natural thing or something that comes in from the enemy. Father, I just thank you that you help us with it. In the name of Jesus, I thank you for the strength that you put into us, that you put it right now into Tony. Help her in all the things that she's going through right now. In the name of Jesus, we give you the praise and the glory for that. We just receive from you, Father, for what we receive, we can then give. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.